This is Bibliovile, the terrible book exchange podcast where a wife and her husband get each other the worst books they can find. For this week's episode of Bibliovile, Nick read Crazy Stupid Bromance by Lissa K. Adams, and I read Bug Out, the plan for escaping a, catastroph- a catastrophic disaster before it's too late by Scott B. Williams. It's Bibliovile, your terrible book exchange podcast. My name is Mick Dickinson. And I'm Susan Dickinson. And we are back here once again with two books to benevolently give to you their summary so that you do not have to read them. And trust me, you're going to be glad you don't have to read mine. Oh, I am interested to hear it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we are sitting here on a on a Sunday and we are hit with the full force of the Sunday scaries, the Sunday blues, the worst part of the week, in my opinion, from around 3 p.m. on a Sunday until you go to bed and you are just a puddle of person melted on the floor. I don't really find anything interesting in the midst of the Sunday blues. I just kind of want to sit on the couch like a potato and stare at my phone and be vaguely unhappy until I fall asleep. Ah, such is life. <laughs> the human condition. Um, but we might be feeling extra tired for for uh, an extra reason. We a might be feeling reason. tired for an extra reason. Um, and that's because we had our first of three baby showers last night. It was and a grand old time. it was so nice. It's so nice. And the only one I get to go to. Well, so... I don't know if you all might have picked up on this about us, but we're not super traditional people in certain ways. And um, so we weren't super jazzed about the idea of a very traditional baby shower. And so we wound up sort of comboing it with a end of the summer back to school backyard barbecue kind of situation. We had some friends over. We ate burgers and brats on the grill. Uh, a lovely friend of ours made some adorable hedgehog-themed treats because that's the theme of our nursery um, baby's room. And basically the theme of your late 20s. Yeah, basically. Um, and we just hung out and had a great time. And everybody drank beer except for me. And I drank some nice iced tea. It was just a really nice evening. Got to see some friends. It was real fun. It was real fun. It was all outside. Don't you worry. Uh, but I... I Oh, I wanted to ruin it. What good, Susan? I know. I know you did. You saw the opportunity and you just couldn't stop thinking about it. I We both finished our books on, on Saturday day. We're recording this on a Sunday. So the day of the shower, we finished our books. And I got the grinchy idea to say, hey, guys, welcome. It's a wonderful day. Thank you for coming to our baby shower slash first live Bibliovile episode. You guys are now a captive audience. Thank you for the the uh, presence. And you'll be getting one in return, us talking about these books. But I'm nothing if not a gracious host. So we, we declined to take advantage of that. Man, thinking about the the group of friends that we had at the baby shower, though, I feel like some people would have been like, this is very weird and I'm going to leave. And others would have absolutely been hilarious as a podcast audience looking at you katie T- yeah don't say last names on no. the podcast looking at you katie t um i got to uh i was told that if we did do it live that i was going to be heckled so uh I'll, I'll retreat safely to the the basement uh once more as i have done my entire life <laughs> oh no but <clears throat> 
I'll launch into it here. This has been on your list for a while. Is that correct? It has. I actually tried to get you the ebook version of this in the pandemic when we were almost exclusively doing ebooks, but it kept being like people kept checking it out and there was a wait list for it. And so you never actually got to read it. This is, um, I, I was a little nervous about getting this one because this is a genre of book that I freely and openly read for fun. Uh, I, I love a modern romance novel. Um, I think they're fun and quick and easy to read. Um, but this one in particular, there were a few things that made me think that instead of being a book, I would want to read myself, that this would be a good book to get for Mick for the podcast. Um, I'm just going to read a a little bit of the back. A hacktivist and a cat cafe owner decode the friend zone in this romantic comedy from the author of Undercover Bromance. Alexis Carlisle and her cat cafe, Toe Beans, have shots of fame after she came forward as a victim of a celebrity chef's sexual harassment. When a new customer approaches to confide in her, the last thing Alexis expects is for the woman to claim their sisters. Unsure what to do, Alexis turns to the only man she trusts, her best friend, Noah Logan. And it goes on from there. But the cat or the the cat cafe named Toe Beans was what really got me. Well, I got to tell you, um, uh, unfortunately for you, that that makes for a very minor part of this uh, book. Uh, We do not spend a ton of time at Toe Beans. Um... So this is, like you said, a modern romance book. Uh, it seems to be trying very hard to be ripped from the headlines. So our main character uh, very clearly uh, lifted from the Me Too movement, uh, especially that of there's a famous uh, chef whose name starts with Mar or his first name is Mario that I can't remember the rest of it. Um, and so then she's navigating the waters of both being an unwilling hero to some women, but also being a villain to the chef's fans and that sort of stuff. And was it the right idea to, to come out at all and... It's, you know, a whole thing. Her uh, romantic interest is uh, Noah, that I just had to look on the back again to make sure. Um, He is a ponytailed, scruffy beard, comic book wearing t-shirt or comic Comic book book wearing comic book t-shirt wearing can't dress very well but he's really hot though uh, underneath all that. Ah, so he's the she's all that guy. I was going to say he's he's all that. Um... They they met at the party, basically, not the party, but the first gathering after she had a press conference. Uh, he went to support some of his very famous and very rich friends. It's kind of funny in this book. Basically, there's not just like a normal person. They're all incredibly rich in one way or another or famous. Like there's three professional athletes, a country music star, that sort of stuff. But anyway, at this uh, get together, she's like crying and outside and needs some space. And he goes out and he's basically a great guy because he doesn't try to talk or say anything to her. He says, hey, you know, I'm here if you need to talk or anything. So they uh, hit it off and they're both very hot. And I will say that for this book's later faults, the initial reason why they are not immediately together is quite good. He met her first and was attracted to her from the beginning, but (laughs) met her first Shortly after a high-profile sexual assault uh, or se- sexual allegations, you know, um, and thought that that would be the wrong time to be like, "Hey, you want to go get coffee and stuff?" Yeah, probably a good call, man. And so then it becomes like the whole, well, when does that 
stop? Like, what yeah. date is the expiration date on that? And then, at what point is it like, okay, it's been long enough since you underwent this trauma. Yeah. I can hit on you now. Yes, basically. And so that is a very uh, kind of down-to-earth reason why two people who want to get together don't feel like they can get together. Because she likes, or she's into him as well, but he hasn't made any overt moves. Except to often kiss her on the top of the head, hold her hand, hug her a long time, has slept over at her house several times. It's like, ooh. I get that there's a lot of doubt. Like, I don't want to... There's the whole thing about the friend zone and... um, Yeah. Which, sometimes, this is... (sighs) I'll get to why this is a bigger statement later, but this book is uh, sometimes trying a little hard in several ways. And so it does call out the concept of the friend zone, but in a way that it's like, no, that kind of friend zone really does exist, where these two people do, in fact, want to bang each other. Mm -hmm. But each one is both afraid of... Uh, you know, moving too far for yes. the other person. That is a very real thing. Or like not wanting to ruin the friendship yeah. by pushing it. Like that's a very real thing. Yeah. And so the friend zone is a concept and it is an event. I, I don't I don't really truly understand how people are like, oh, it's just not, it's not real. No, it's overused. Like if and she doesn't used in the wrong context. If too. one partner just is not romantically involved, then that's unrequited love. Yeah, that's not the friend zone. Yeah, but that's what I feel like can the, be. I don't know why that, that's bad. That's why, like, I think the the social concept of the friend zone is like, if a guy gets put in the friend zone because a girl has decided she has not is not interested in him then he has to do whatever it takes to get out of the friend zone. Like, no, you just need to listen when people tell you no. Yeah, so I suppose it may, may be because in most instances of the friend zone, it is it seems like this has been a... That the woman is somehow a bad person for what she's doing to this guy or that this guy is less of a man for this. But I think there, it, like... There is a thing where, like, there's people that would want to bang, but they're also friends, so they don't want to bang because then the friend, like, we. It's a helpful term, and people who say it's not real, I don't get it. Because, like, it happens enough. We need a name for it. Yeah. It's not like this is a name that got perverted into something it doesn't mean. This is the name we made up for it. So I always get bothered by that. But anyway. Uh, she's running her cafe toe beans where she runs, uh, a cat adoption center. Uh, plenty of women are coming into this cafe because it's a safe space, which is sure. Uh, and she also has like yoga on some nights for victims of sexual assault. And it's, she's just a wonderful person and Mm -hmm. she is very nice and, and can do no wrong. Uh, except for this one person in her, uh, neighborhood that owns like a knitting store up the road so she's probably solving murders oh yeah she's she's very busy um but she is quite the karen would you believe it she complains about parking and your customers are here too long and your your cats are always leaving mice on my like they don't get out so if you had to think if you had to insert a character that was quite a karen into your book that was written after like the karen was a thing what would you name that character beverly nope Belinda? Nope. Just Karen. She's named Karen. They just Karen. named her Karen? Yeah. Uh, so she she's just named Karen. So she's always around and complaining. And uh, she interrupts this meeting with a, a, a meek mouse of a girl uh, that uh, our, our Lexi is trying. Or Lexa. She goes by Lexa. Lexa. Which is, which is always a little, a little weird because she's not Alexa. She's Alexis. Mm-hmm. But it goes by Lexa. I don't get it. Anyway. Um, 
And then Lex is trying to meet with this meek mouse of a girl because sometimes they they uh, come around, uh, woman, excuse me, they often come around and will like kind of word vomit onto Lexa because she's so empathetic and can take it. And mm. to be fair, the book does shout out that she's not like a trained therapist. This yeah. is not her job and she's not really good at the thing, but she can be there for them to start the process or yeah. whatever. And then Karen interrupts and then she goes to... Uh, Noah's house. I I forget you their keep names. Forgetting both of their names. As soon as yeah, it's whatever. Um, and then they have like a, a secret, super secret handshake for friends only, where they link. How old are they? Well, they're also gonna build Legos together. Anyway, um, they have a super secret handshake that's just for them, and it's where they take their pinkies and they wrap them around each other. It's like that's just a pinky square. Uh, yeah, that has a name, but it's a pinky square. Pinky square. Um, and these characters, the reason I keep forgetting them is that they really are just uh, personified Tinder profiles in many ways. So like Nick, Noah is like uh, uh, computers, uh, but I work out too and everything like that. Meanwhile, Alexa, would you believe it? Or Alexa, would you believe it? Music is like the language of her life. Ah, yes. Out of the Couldn't corner, live without it. Out of the corner of Noah's eyes, he saw her lean her head against the seat and close her eyes. Too many eyes in one sense. Too many eyes. Alexis didn't just listen to music. She existed in it, lived in it, let it run through her and merge with her cells. The first concert they went together, he'd spent more time watching her dance than the show itself. Hips swaying and arms raised, eyes closed if she were alone in the world, dancing without a soul in sight. So she's she's the Nashville. This takes place in Nashville. She's a Nashville oh, girl okay. that really loves music. Like you don't get it. She I loves mean, music. That seems really unique in Nashville. I feel like there's not very many people in Nashville who really love. It's music. a very artless town. Yeah. Um, the point of this book series is that uh, uh, there is a male book club. Can you imagine dudes in a book club? Uh, a male book club where they read romance books. And what? the reason they read romance books is because the more romance books you read, the better you get at romance. And that's not true. We've that's read enough. That's not true. We've read enough of these puppies to know that a lot of the lessons they provide to you are pretty bad. Uh, they also often talk about combating toxic masculinity in this group. Uh, and so it's it's all very like, we're like good. He, I'm doing my wedding. My we're we the good guys. Yeah, my fiance's not. I'm handling my wedding planning. And it's all, I'm sure, in good fun. But they, he has to take a, an oath to get into this book club that he doesn't want to be in. An oath? Yes. Repeat after me. I, Noah Logan, solemnly... You don't have to. I'm quoting. Uh, repeat, solemnly swear to uphold the principles of a bromance book club man. I vow to do the hard work on myself to over, overcome a lifetime of toxic masculinity and to use the lessons of the manuals to become a better man. The manuals? Yeah, the, that's what they call it. So they all know that he is into Lexa, and they're pretty sure she's into him. And so they're like, hey, make out or whatever for once. Uh, and they're like, no, no, we can't. Friends are... Uh, and so they, in order to combat toxic masculinity, proceed to give him a bunch of shit about it. Which it's like, that's kind of how guys act. I get that. Yeah. But also when they're asking him for... Uh, 
what's going on in your relationship. He's like, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to, I don't want to talk to you about this. And they're like, you really need to open up. That's just toxic masculinity that's holding you back. And I, I don't necessarily agree with that. If it's private things about his relationship, that's his right to not want to share. Indeed. On top of that, they usually ambush him with these questions. Yeah. It's like, Hey, fuckers, I didn't ask you to help me with this. Yeah. You're ambushing me. Not everything that's bad is toxic masculine. Yeah. Not everything I say no to makes me a toxic masculine. It's it's a whole thing. Um, then when he finally does talk to them because uh, she, the B plot in this book, the non-romance plot in this book, is that she was the, never knew her father, and then her biological father is dying of kidney failure and needs a donor. And to that, every reasonable character in the book says, no, the... He's not your dad. Like, yeah, just, you don't. This you is you a never stranger. knew him. Yeah, uh, never is it brought up that any of the rest of the family even tried to get their stuff tested. I'm sure maybe it was when I was skimming, but <laughs> um, would you believe it? She's a match. She's gonna do it because she's just so kind hearted. Yeah, she's just such a good person. And then there's some bullshit about meeting the family and really trying to have a sister. And I was just like, baloney. Like, just no. That's not fine. Um. And so she comes back from one of those things and is confiding in Noah about it. it didn't go so well. And she really just needs it. Like, and so his thing is you went from being way overly uh, exposed and like feeling very vulnerable during the sexual assault thing. Now you're feeling like you re- really need a lot of support with this kidney thing. Like, I don't want to take advantage of those moments. Yeah, which is that's being a good person and a good friend. Yeah, but then from her perspective, it's like, I just need somebody right now and yeah. I'm really into you and it would help a lot if I got to make out with you. Which it, I feel like if they just talked openly to each other they could maybe work through some of that but i'm willing to bet that they don't this this, well later they get yelled at for not which is i suppose fair but i think this uh book sets a number of records for a storming out uh, by our main character we love a storming out and by that i mean i don't i don't love a storming out. so they are out on a swinging bench that's also like they're at like on a porch sectional um and she leans into him and starts like kissing his uh, neck because she can't hold back or whatever. Ooh. And so he's like, are you? And then they start making out and it's all well and good. And then she touches on his, ni- he's really into having his nipples played with. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's just like fine. Um, yeah, that's what you're into. That's but, what you're into. Yeah, it does feel kind of odd. But either way, uh, then he like breaks the kiss for a second and is like, hey, wait, because she starts going for his jeans. Mm. And she's like, I get it, you hate me, and runs off while he's telling her to stop and doesn't answer the phone. And it's like, he might have been saying, hey, wait, we're outside, let's go in. Or, hey, wait, I just want to make out. But or, she, hey, wait, I got to run to my car, that's where my condoms are. Well, like, his house. Uh. But either way, yes, he she leaps to this idea of like, I get it, you hate me, and storms off, even while he's saying like, hey, wait, I know I want to talk to you about this. And at one point he goes, like, I have to talk to you, I have to talk to you. And she's like, finally, what? And he goes, you seem like really, something else is going on, talk to me. I'm like, you broke in here saying I need to talk to you, you yeah. say it. And so then... Uh, he goes back to the bromance book club where they like assault him with questions. And then would you believe it? Toxic masculinity is basically taking the, uh, or to fix toxic masculinity, we need to take the example of what happened and make it his fault. So he did everything wrong. He's the one who scared her off and everything. Okay. So I don't agree with that because her going for his 
waistband or yeah. whatever. And then he said, pump the brakes. And she got super emotional and had a big reaction and made him feel guilty about pumping the brakes. Like, that's on her. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But no, if we blame her for this, then we're being toxic. Yeah, then we're being anti-feminist. Yeah. Um, the bad part is that they fucked on page uh, 212, like the boiling point, out of a book that is 342 pages. Ooh, uh, boy. And so it's like, I get it that they already liked each other, and once they admit that they like each other, they can go for it. And so we get, I think, five rounds in, in basically a row, mm. and then several off screen. But Good then, sex scenes? Yeah, they'll talk about it. It was a little bit smooshing Barbies together at nah. one point. Um, she was grabbing his ass while... Uh, hooking a leg over his arm oh yeah and so that takes a major flexibility and it's just it's just 3d models where the the parts go where they need I to, to think for a minute and about they, they how that would work logistically yeah so they are together and doing it uh and then he's like wow i got it i don't need the bromance book club anymore and they're like no no no, no this is just the start because in every bro it was almost meta where they're like, there's always an act two. Yeah. Like, and so they didn't say that, but that's basically what they're saying. And so you need to keep on top of it and don't assume it's all good. And it's like, that's good advice too. But also, given the rest of their history as people, they are great together. They yeah. get along fantastic. They support each other. They are sexually attracted to each other. Is the new part is that they are giving into that. Mm-hmm. But they've supported each other. They know the details of each other's lives, financial situations, likes and dislikes, interests, disinterests histories, all that sort of stuff. Like, the the deck has been stacked for them to work. And so we're really going to need something convoluted to break them up. And I bet we get it. Yeah, the, the kidney d- receiver that she's going to go through with worked at a defense contracting company. Noah was a hacktivist in his youth. Uh, and so when the defense contractor gets hacked and uh, basically a whistleblower-style thing where it's like, hey, they did a terrible job on these missiles during the Iraq War, leading to all these civilian casualties, which is like, they didn't need defective missiles to get civilian casualties yeah. in the Iraq War. But anyway, that gets released to Why the public. Why did they bring the Iraq War into his this? His dad died it, during the Iraq War. Ah, oh, okay. Um, and so that was what fueled his original thing against the government. And it's like, yeah, good. It's, it's treated like it was a childhood mistake. It's like, no, fuck, do it. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, and so she gets yelled at by the the, don- the receiver's family, her biological family, for her boyfriend is fucking this all up. And she goes back to tell him, and he's like, well, did you believe him? And she's like, no, not really. And he's like, not really. Like, no. Like, for a second, sure, I, I considered it, and then I realized you wouldn't do it. Yeah, I thought critically and about the, it and came to a conclusion. And the, for the fact that she doubted him for even that moment, they go the on to break up. The fact that she didn't blindly believe in him, but actually, like, thought about And it things. wasn't even like, it, it wasn't even like that she quizzed him about it. Yeah. She thought for a moment, like... Did he? No, he wouldn't. Yeah. But that that moment of doubt is enough to get him to say, like, maybe this is a mistake. And there is some quality conflict in here. This is not a terrible book. There is some quality personal conflict where he is a fighter. He he tr- thinks he's fighting the good fight no matter what the fight is. Like, yeah. uh, as in, uh, he doesn't punch people. Like, the, the he fights the good fight and yeah. he's hacking and he stands up for himself even when it doesn't really mean anything and he speaks what's on his mind. And meanwhile, she sees the path of least resistance as, like, 
is she really going to get any further by arguing with this Karen or can she just let her yell at her and go yeah. far? And so there is some quality, like that's a real thing, difference between people that may cause some conflict. And when you're mad and you're in a book, you'd say like, he says something about you, like you've never fought for a thing. And then she's like, what are you talking about? I accused a celebrity of sexually harassing me. Like, yeah. you know, that sort of stuff. And so that picks up, but the initial core is so out of nowhere that it doesn't. And then they get back together and the book's over. Um, nice. Yeah. Uh, and then they get engaged three different times. She gives the kidney. What? So while she's high on, on medication, she says, and the answer is yes. And he says, for what? And she's like, you're going to ask me to marry you. And he's like, I don't know. I might. And she's like, well, I'll say yes then. And then at a wedding several days later where uh, she's healing from her kidney surgery, which like, that's very mean to make her still be in the wedding after kidney surgery. Yeah. Uh, she says, oh, and by the way, and he says something like, yeah, anyway, our wedding's going to be even better. And he's like, oh, is that a proposal? No, not really, but you said you're going to say yes. And then later he actually proposes. So, yeah, we get three I thought you were going to say he proposed at someone else's wedding and that was going to be really irritating. Ah, uh, nah. So... Uh, this book was both meta and kind of supposed to be funny. It did do okay at representing what I understand to be the difference between gender uh, friend relations. Even as it tried to combat the idea of like gender roles as a th- concept, all the guys get together and like raz and some, like, you know, <laughs> punch each other and uh, kind of wrestle a little bit, uh, swear at each other. And then when the women come to support Lexa, they all bring ice cream and sit yeah. in a circle. And it's like, you know, I'm not going to say that's wrong, but I feel like if your book is going to put a big emphasis on let's break these traditional things, like maybe have the women razz yeah. each other a little bit. Or I I wish there was more of a celebration of like the good stuff of boys will be boys. Like there's some boys will be boys just like dumb nonsense like that the time guys we- do together and like that's that can be fun and wholesome and great and i'm all in support of yeah, that Yeah, like the time my brothers and i got a uh, found a free floaty uh and then in a lake and we cut the bottom out of it so we could jump through the moon pool <laughs> yes. and then we figured out as the perfect size for a, a, a cooler to sit in and so we had a floating cooler in the middle of a lake yeah that's like that is great boys will be boy stuff. And I'm like, I'm all for disrupting gender norms. But I think there's some of that stuff that we can just be like, no, this is the good version of boys will be boys. <laughs> yeah. What are we going to do? Yeah. Anyway. So uh, speaking of boys will be boys, tell me about uh, planning what happens in a zombie apocalypse and always trying to be the most prepared person in the room in case just some knife wielding maniac comes in. That's a very boys will be boys kind of fantasy. I feel like as I read excerpts from this book, I want you to help me figure out what kind of guy this author is. All right. So this book just goes for it. We start off in the introduction. Can I say before you hop into the book, you doubted me something fierce i really did mick got me this book and i thought it was just gonna be like first aid manual uh, yeah a first aid manual a description of what plants are edible in different parts of the world and there is some of that but man i had enough material in the first three chapters to give us an episode of bibliovile this is a little bonkers let's hear it so again we just go for it in the beginning of this book talking about how um, you know, think about where you you live and where you spend most of your time. We're in cities, we're in suburbs, we're surrounded by lots of people. 
We've spun a web of interconnected networks of communication and transportation and rely on a vast and complex infrastructure to hold it all together. But the price of this convenience for most people is a disconnection from the land and the basic resources that sustain us. With this disconnection comes a loss of knowledge of what to do and where to go in the event of a major disaster or other disruption of our interdependent lives, so insulated from the realities of nature. And so one of the big questions that I have that doesn't really get answered is what kind of disaster are we talking about here? Because the front cover mentions firestorms, floods, hurricanes, tsunamis, pandemics, earthquakes, and terror attacks. Ah, those won't happen. The only actual mention we get of any of those things is in the following paragraph. The reality is that our present way of life is more susceptible to disruption or total breakdown than most people care to acknowledge. Several events in recent years bear this out and show that nothing is certain other than uncertainty itself. The unprecedented terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001 reveal that enemies who are creative enough can find a way to strike despite our seemingly impregnable military defense systems. Natural disasters, while usually local in impact, can cause utter chaos, as was seen when Hurricane Katrina struck the Gulf Coast in 2005. That's really all we get of mention of, like, what kinds of disasters are we thinking about here? Otherwise, it's just mentioned as, like, in a bug-out situation... Like can I, what? Can I say can what's I, the situation? Can I say something? Yeah. I don't think he's wrong. But no, what I'm saying is he doesn't tell us what kind of situations he's talking about. I guess. But like I would agree that never in human history have we been uh more susceptible because we are, we have sophisticated the process to such an no, extent. No, I'm not saying I disagree with that. I'm saying but what is what are you supposedly preparing us for? He wrote an entire book trying to prepare us for a disaster without saying, what kind of disaster are we preparing for? I don't know. Firestorms? Floods? That's only on the front cover. It's never mentioned in the actual book. Um, Wouldn't that be funny if there's a section on pandemics? It's like, <laughs> you have to wear a mask. Yes, you have to wear a mask. If there's a vaccine, get it. <laughs> uh, living in a time when life is easy, surrounded by an incredible array of technology, presented with more lifestyle options than individuals have ever enjoyed in human history. It's easy to get complacent. It's easy to forget how thin is the veneer of civilization that separates us from our ancestors and how quickly many will revert to savagery as it is all stripped away. Ah, that's, that's being a little reactionary. But have you ever seen the... Uh, uh study that it's like the food chain or like not the food chain as in like we eat animals and animals eat animals but like the food uh supply, supply chain yeah. is basically like on a four day rotation yeah and so like if something disrupted it we run out of food in the grocery stores in four days yeah like something crazy like that well it's i mean like i think we saw that to a certain extent with some things with the oh, pandemic yeah. like bread aisles were empty is very odd to see. and also there were like things that there were materials that were made in the Wuhan region of China for medical supplies, like cotton, like medical grade yeah. cotton stuff that like that disrupted supply chains for like still. For sure. So, yeah. Um, things just keep getting more. So some fear that a worsening economy will lead to fundamental changes in government, loss of many freedoms and a possible declaration of martial law. Such changes could lead to widespread civil disorder and even more chaos. In short, the kind of scenario frequently discussed on internet forums as SHTF, when the shit hits the fan. Um, 
the these forums are abuzz with discussions on what to do if the SHTF. In fact, the topic has so dominated many firearms and survival forums that the moderators have had to resort to banning any threads dealing with SHTF or T-E-O-T-W-A-W-K-I, the end of the world as we know it. All right, this is just retreating deeper and deeper into the bunker of reactionary yeah. paranoia. Exactly. So he talks about he talks about how like there are some people that are fans of what he calls the bug in strategy of just like hunker down because if everyone goes out into the land, they're gonna flood all of the open space and then everyone's gonna be helpless because they're not gonna be able to you know take care of themselves out there and it's gonna be a mess. So what he wants this book to do is help you to not be that person because most people are just going to stay in their homes. They're not going to go out and try to live on the land, but you can. You are capable of doing this. Um, so. This is like a hatchet prequel. I mean, kind of, although he isn't a fan of hatchets. He would rather you use a machete. Ah. We spend a lot of time talking about axes versus hatchets versus machetes. Uh, I did on some of them, and then I got a pen or a pencil. Uh, book. I know, I'm the worst. Uh, he talks about how uh, finicky eating habits like veganism and vegetarianism are only easy to sustain in a comfortable environment, um, and but you're going to have to adapt and become a hunter if you're in a, a bug out situation. Um, I would love to see the Venn diagram of vegan and person who is concerned about bugging out. Yeah. In discussing the hunting of animals for food, it should also be pointed out that much of what is recommended in this book is illegal in normal times. And I'm not advocating the breaking of game laws or laws against taking protected species of animals or in some cases plants. But then he's like, but don't worry, if shit really hits the fan, then none of these rules are going to apply and you don't have to follow any of them. But what situation is that? We don't know. He also talks, uh, he gives some examples about famous people who have bugged out and lived off the land, including a man named Chris McCandless. Um, And he describes Chris McCandless' story as, he was well-fed and healthy until he died. Then he talks about a man named Martin Price, who did a really great job living off the land until he was killed in a shootout over his poaching. So there's just a lot going on. This is, yeah, here. not exactly a ringing endorsement. Plus, I heard of this guy named Ted Kaczynski. He did a great job living in the cabin, did a little bit of writing. Harvard graduate. I don't know who that is. That's the Unabomber. Oh, no. Okay. Not the Unabomber. We don't want that. Um, we start to dig a little bit into the details. So putting together your bug out bag. Um, some, to some, the bug out bag is a 72 hour emergency kit that will include food, water, and other essentials to see you through the first 72 hours, um, while you head for a safe haven. Others think it includes survival essentials, but also combat gear like flak jackets, assault weapons, and enough loaded magazines to equip a soldier on patrol in Afghanistan. He's basically taking the, um, the track of, this is for your... First 72 hours and trying to set you up for success beyond that. Yeah, if you start putting a flak jacket in there, it becomes not a bug out bag, but a foot locker that you just need to haul around. Yeah, we do talk a lot about guns, though, which is just interesting. Let me try to find my notes where we talked about the guns. Um, Oh, we want to avoid sort of 
pre-packaged bug out bags because those backpacks tend to be too small to fit your machete or your uh, survival rifle. We have to have room for that. Um, we don't want a military surplus bag because that could attract the wrong attention from law enforcement or others in the aftermath of a bug out situation. What does that bug out situation look like? We still don't know. What's that attention look like? You have a, you have an army looking backpack. The cops are going to come after you. You know how much the troops light hate the troops. They do. They really do. Um, he also references some of his own prior experiences in really interesting ways. And I'm not sure, like, I don't know anything about this man. I don't know if any of this is true. But he says, while I was sea kayak camping on a remote stretch of tropical coast in the Dominican Republic, some local coconut growers taught me a super simple trick for cooking with a metal pot over a tiny fire. I'm like, what were you doing? Like, is that real or is that mostly imagined? And I have to assume it's mostly imagined. On numerous trips in the jungles of Central America, Indian guides I've traveled with routinely hunted everything from small to turkey-sized birds, monkeys, iguanas, and deer, even shooting submerged fish near the riverbanks with the battled old 21 rifles they always carried in the bush. <laughs> I don't know if you are making this up or not. Um, that is kind of the beginning section of the book where we talk about kind of preparing for your bug out scenario. The bulk of the book takes us through different, um, portions of the continental United States. We don't talk at all about Alaska or Hawaii. He says Hawaii, um, is mostly going to be protected by, from bug out situations because it's so isolated. Like tsunamis. Like tsunamis. Um, and then we leave out Alaska because he's making the assumption that everyone who lives in Alaska already <laughs> knows all of this. Um, which that one I was like, actually, eh, that that might not be untrue. Um, but so we go through different regions of the continental U.S., the river swamps and islands of the Gulf Coast, the Atlantic Coast, the Appalachian Mountain Corridor, the lakes and big woods of the north. And then we get to the Midwest and the heartland. I was really excited to see what he would have to say about, you know, Iowa. And the answer is not not really that much, to be completely Drive honest. Drive a big van with the lights on, you'll hit a deer, and then you get to eat for a couple days. Um, so it's basically like there's going to be deer and rabbits. You might find some wild turkeys. There will be squirrels. There's going to be a lot of edible fish. Um, but there's not a lot of like good, a good, there's not a good type of environment to kind of get lost in and live off the land. He really recommends his, his top two bug out locations would be the Rocky Mountain area or the Gulf Coast provide the most opportunities so oh. didn't have a lot to say we're kind of just screwed uh, but uh theodore roosevelt national park did get a little shout out um just to say that it exists not that it would necessarily be a great place I to see. go i love the idea that iowa in the midwest would be a bad bug out location to live off the land because is he assuming that you are being actively hunted because if if it's that society has broken down yeah just like Steal a barn, and there you go. You got a bunch of land that you can tear up, and you got a garden, buddy. There was a lot of, like, you need to find a good place to hide or, like, ways of avoiding people. Like, if you can, like, bring a canoe with you 
in your bug out vehicle. Like it's easy to evade people who are coming after you by yeah. boat. Like so, I'm not really sure. Again, I'm not really sure what kind of situation we're talking about here. That's why I kind of want to bring it back to the the title, which is bug out. Which bug out bag is usually a, a reserved title for like spies or people who are being hunted. They're like, oh, my cover has been blown. I need to leave right now. That's bugging but he out. also talks a lot about like natural disasters, well, which also was interesting to me because like how would different types of disasters change things? I feel like that should be a, an important part of this guide. If it's like a wildfire or an earthquake or a flood or a tsunami, like wouldn't you want to be as far away from wherever that is as possible whereas this is really talking about like you need to scope out your location you need to find a place that you can get to quickly you need to know your escape route from your suburb to get to your bug out location but if it were a natural disaster wouldn't you want to get as far away as possible as soon as you can well, I think that what's happening here is that the the story on the tin is not the actual purpose of this book. And the purpose of this book is uh, there's a civil war because damn liberals uh, went too far. Yep. And you are actively being hunted. I don't think that what it says on the tin about the natural disasters is truly what this is going for. Yeah, probably. That's fair. Um, one of my favorite things, though, that really made me laugh is in one of the chapters, there's a guide about what types of sharks are easiest to hunt and are the best for eating. Good idea. Like, we're just assuming we're going to wow. be hunting sharks. Susan, you're pregnant. You can't eat sharks. That's right. I can't eat sharks. I'm screwed in a bug out event. Um, the end of the book, so we end with the Pacific Crest Mountains and the West Coast. And then the end has some appendices um, that give you a checklist for your bug out bag. Um, starting with if you are leaving on foot, what types of things you should bring with you, and then some additional sublists if you have the means to carry more stuff, um, or if you have an emergency cache that you can get to very quickly, what to put in there. Um, and then there's also if you are bugging out by boat or by vehicle, how to fit out your boat or your vehicle. Um, which really made me think about, like, I know that there are people who are, like, I feel like you often hear them referred to in the media as like doomsday preppers. Preppers, yeah. Um, and I feel like this is sort of doomsday prepper light. Because um, a lot of times when we, th we think about like doomsday preppers, that's what this author would refer to as people bugging in. Like they're getting ready to protect their property and stay on their, like in their house on their land and defend it and be self-sufficient versus this is like, here's some stuff you got to do to become a mountain man. Yeah, I think that if we had put this uh, author back 60 years, he'd be uh, digging in his backyard for a bomb shelter. And I think it's just, uh, I, I'm not even going to say it's purely American, but I don't know. It's something that I think upper middle class uh, yet sliding downwards in society uh, men do to feel like they have considered their options. Yeah. Is to like be like, no, like I think about the worst of the worst. Yeah. This is the kind of guy, and I'm putting myself in this basket that doesn't like having his back to a door because it's like, oh, I gotta see who comes in. Like, I don't, I'm one of those people and it's stupid because it's like, what mafioso is going to come put an ice pick in my spine? Like, what do I have to worry about that for? And it's just some sort of gotta be prepared attitude. Like, I was I, in the scouts before it got nerdy. 
I thought you just like to be facing the door for like small town gossip reasons. You like to see who was coming in, see if you knew oh, anybody. I hate small town <laughs> gossip. Susan. And if I saw any, I would prefer my back so nobody can see me in there. But I think the moral of the story is we need to put together our bug out bag and we need to it's gonna just be all go diapers. wander in the wilderness for a while to see how our skills are, really do a check in, figure out what we need to work on in the event of a bug out situation, which is not clearly explained. Where would you go in a in a zombie apocalypse? Uh, I would go to the lake house. Panora? Yeah. It's pretty good. Yeah. I'll go farm. Oh, the farm, yeah. The farm's yeah. closer. Yeah. yeah. Baby. Farm, yep. Farm's a good one, if too. If you had to stay into a city, where would you go? Like, I could pick any city? No, in Iowa City. Oh, if I had to stay in our city, where would I go? Um, I mean, I probably am going to stay our house because it's the only place that I know, like, no one's going to, like... Too many ground floor windows. Okay. Um... I would say the like my office could be good because it is all ground floor windows. You have a garden level office. You could go to the second floor. Yeah, true. Yeah, I don't know. Where would you go? I would go to the graduate hotel and go mm. up as high as I can because the elevators, assumedly, won't run anymore, or zombies wouldn't be able to work it. Yeah. And then there's probably only like two or three staircases you gotta worry about. And then there's all those all those floors of stuff. And then you can yeah. make it out after the four or five days where all the zombies would die of dehydration because they're still in human bodies. I'm glad you spent time thinking about this. Do you have a bug out bag? You no. ready to go? Um, <laughs> what weapon is best for a zombie apocalypse, Susan? What would you? Uh, well, I, I don't want to spoil because I know what your answer is. Um, I would not go with a, a gun myself because I don't know how to use one. <laughs> um I I don't know. I'm tempted to say a knife, but that revolves oh, being got, very close. It involves, yeah. Yeah, so I, I don't know. Yeah, guns, guns don't work because the whole zombie idea is that, like, they are not going to bleed to death, and which is how guns kill people yeah. most of the time. Would you like to share your answer? Do you know what it is? Yeah, it's a baseball bat. It's a baseball bat. Yeah. Of course. A baseball bat and a motorcycle jacket. You're good. <laughs> I do think like a knife could be versatile though. You could use it. You for should have things. a knife yeah. in your bug out bag. But oh, if- this guy actually thinks that people uh, rely too much on knives, and that movies like Rambo have conditioned people to think that a knife is really all you need. But you need a lot more than that. You really need a machete. All right. <laughs> the reason a baseball bat is so good. I want to get this on record. Okay. Okay. And don't do shit like put nails in it or barbed wire, because now you have a stuck baseball bat, idiot. Yeah. Baseball bat, it won't kill any that many zombies, but you know what it does really well? Breaks them off. No, it breaks a lot of legs. Yeah, that's true. And then they're on the floor and you're like, piss off, because you're wearing carpenter, or not carpenter shorts. <laughs> you're wearing like really thick pants and they can't bite through it, which is the point. Dummies. It's yeah. Easy. Dummies. It's easy. I feel like I may have offended you by making fun of this bag if you've put in so much thought to these things. No, not this book. <laughs> I don't have a bug out bag. I'm going to be the liberal that starts the Civil War. Duh. Oh, that's right. Because that's I'm right. going to like ask people to put masks on. So that's why they have to get the bug out bag ready to go. Yeah. Hey, isn't it fun that we're basically starting the pandemic over? Good night. Good night. <laughs>